Ari Rosenbaum here with a, another fun-filled episode of the Foreign Key Podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about what plan sponsors need to avoid when hiring plant providers at 401k fiduciaries. Um, and of course, first things first, go to that 401 for further information on some of our events. We're going to do some virtual events, plant sponsor event in October, right around the corner, as well as a uh, financial advisor, plant provider event in January. Uh, the 2024 baseball schedule came out. Uh, the hope uh, right now we have two dates um, that we're focusing on, May the 3rd in Arlington, Texas, and I think uh, June um, I think June the 7th in uh, Bronx, New York, Yankee Stadium. Hopefully that will happen uh, again. These events are dependent on plant provider support. We're probably going to do some situation where we're going to have people who sponsor the live events can be part of the virtual events and whatnot. Um, obviously, you know, the events in, in 2023, there wasn't that much interest in some of these cities that I had chosen. So what we're going to probably do is going forward, try to you know, run two, three events in cities that, you know, we will have a, a good crowd uh, and good plant provider support. Um, I, I see that uh, Bonvoy now allows you to accrue points at MGM hotels. That always makes Las Vegas in play again. But we'll see how it goes. Uh, tomorrow's promise to no one. So hopefully we can have these live events. Uh, I think the Texas event, we're not going to have a game that night. Uh, the Texas Rangers don't do that. Uh, if people want to be part of the game, it'll be the night before. Uh, for New York, and again, we're gonna we're gonna cut back on the amount of tickets we purchase. Uh, people are gonna have to RSVP. Um, I'm kind of you know, or, or maybe we have them pay a little extra for the ticket, like we did back when when we started uh, the Chicago Wrigley Field event. Um, you know, something to to keep the costs there. Um, I will say that. Uh, if we do Yankee Stadium, which is very, very likely, again, I'm going to talk the next couple of weeks with a lot of plant providers and see where their head is at. Um, it will be the most expensive venue that we've done. Uh, still, uh, you know, <laughs> when we look at it, still the, to this day, the highest venue we've ever paid for was actually the worst, which was the uh, Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg, Florida. But uh, we'll see how it is um, and try to make it work out. But, of course, can't do it without the support of attendees as well as plant providers. So hopefully we can do it next year, and I'll let you know as time goes on. And, uh, you know, it's just interesting trying to plot things out and whatnot. I just booked a family vacation for the West Coast and going to knock out some of those stadiums that I envisioned about going to... Um, uh, you know, have events at, uh, we can never get the interest in Oakland. So try to hit Oakland, California before the A's move. And I always wanted to do San Diego, but the costs were just too prohibitive. And even having it next door at the hotel, uh, was too cost prohibitive. And, you know, we never heard back. Steve Garvey was going to help work with us on lowering the fee as he did with Dodger Stadium, but that just didn't happen. So that's what I'm doing in August. But, uh, again, go to that 4 for further information uh, on what we're doing, articles and, and stuff. I've been, you know, writing a few articles here and there about 
uh, you know, stuff, uh, you know, in my life, you know, in, 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 in just life in general and dealing with situations in the past and uh, situations, you know, going forward. Uh, so all the articles are there. Beyond the 4K, like I said, has some interesting articles. Just wrote one a few weeks back about, you know, and I've talked about it ad nauseum about uh, my son's high school graduation and life being a full circle and, and, and obviously, um, you know, being a, his experience um, was certainly a 180 from my experience in graduating high school and that's what I wanted to pay it forward. But let's go to the uh, situation at hand. And, you know, a plan sponsor, you know, wears a lot of hats and most important hat besides being a plan sponsor is being a plan fiduciary. And plan sponsors may want to hire plan providers to serve in a fiduciary capacity because it will, you know, lessen the burden by, you know, having somebody else take some of the responsibility. And, you know, um, the buck stops with the plan sponsor. And it's, you know, it's nice to spread the risk of liability. In my family, um, when I was a kid, I was always patient zero. So uh, when it came to chicken pox and lice, I was patient zero. Um, I was uh, always the person to bring it home. Um, as a plan sponsor, the buck stops with them in terms of liability issues if things go south, uh, especially, you know, with dealing with plan fighters who don't serve a fiduciary capacity, like, you know, the um, typical third-party administrator. Even if the plan provider, you know, serves in a fiduciary capacity, uh, the plan sponsor is still responsible for hiring them. So I was just talking to a buddy of mine that uh, a lot of you know. Uh, I meet up with him every now and then at the local Cheesecake Factory. He's a plant provider, and he was, uh, you know, actually it wasn't him. It was actually another <laughs> plant provider. I was It was on the phone call home where, you know, he was telling me that uh, they hired a uh, plant sponsor, hired a very well-known um, advisory outfit that also served on 316 capacity. And the situation was there was an automatic enrollment feature. Uh, the 316 screwed that up. And, you know, quite honestly, there needs to be a QNEC. And, of course, with, you know, so many new employees coming in, it looked like a $200,000 QNEC. So the plan fiduciary wants to <laughs> wipe their hands of it. They want to do some backdating on an amendment. Uh, I suggested they go to the VCP process and, you know, the VCP program and try to fix it there. But, you know, again, you can hire somebody in a fiduciary capacity and they still want to pass the buck. And I've had it situations in the past where, you know, I represented a client one year. Uh, there was a advisor told them to change their stable value fund. Um, there was a market value adjustment. And the advisor says, don't worry, I'll, I'll pay for it. And when, you know, obviously the bill came in at $30,000, the advisor uh, fired the client and, you know, pretended that they were in the witness protection program. So plan sponsors really got to be wary of who they hire as a fiduciary because at the end of the day, while you will have somebody serve in fiduciary capacity, a lot of times they'll just skirt their responsibilities. And when even hiring somebody as a pool plan provider, it's the, you know, adopting employer's responsibility to vet the pooled plant provider. And one of these days, you know, again, the PEP program is fairly, fairly new, been two years now, and one day we will have a, a renegade uh, or a rogue PPP. 
and there'll be you know problems with that. And somebody who serves the PPP, um, I don't know where I'm at, quarter billion dollars maybe or two hundred million. Um, you know there are situations um, where again the plan sponsor is going to have to vet, and um, you know it's a good situation in hiring plant providers as plant fiduciaries. It's not a fit for everybody, but if you're a client, plan sponsor, if you don't know much about plant administration, hiring a TPA in a 316 capacity may make sense. Um, you know, again, a plan sponsor can never fully eliminate their liability. They can only minimize it. And again, the best way of minimizing it is hiring somebody else to assume the responsibility of, you know, one or more components of the retirement plan. And of course, that goes to, you know, a fiduciary. We're still, to this day, still trying to figure out what the Department of Labor wants to do with the fiduciary rule. It's been going on since 1976. Um, you know, they've been issuing and withdrawing and whatnot. I, I remember working for a, uh, working with a well-known plan provider on the fiduciary rule in 2016 and uh, Trump won so that they scuttled that and it's been going on and on and on it's been going on for the last you know 15 years and hopefully uh, we'll get it right one day and uh, hopefully that will delineate you know what is a fiduciary and how do they work as a fiduciary and all that kind of stuff and of course um, you know the Biggest misconception out there with fiduciaries: most TPAs don't serve in fiduciary capacity unless they take the role on themselves. Um, you know, uh, there are many instances that a TPA crosses close or over the boundary on what they may make a plan provider a fiduciary. You know, if you have a TPA approving plan loans, uh, that may get them in trouble as a plan fiduciary. And we've had litigation over the past. A lot of the payroll providers get sued and. They're able to get out of responsibility because, you know, they are certainly not a fiduciary. They didn't, you know, didn't recognize that role on their contract. They avoided that situation. Um, you know, a lot of the TPAs, you know, obviously disclaim that. I think a good TPA in their contract will disclaim that role and will not take up any role whatsoever that may deem them a fiduciary. Um, and like I said, we've seen a lot, you know, where you have a TPA uh, unknowingly uh, become a fiduciary. Um, there's just so many misconceptions uh, out there uh, as to what uh, constitutes a fiduciary. But like I said, a TPA may accidentally or unknowingly make themselves a fiduciary by, you know, doing something kind of dumb that they shouldn't be doing. Like I said. Proving hardships and plain loans that could land them in trouble. But, you know, obviously, thanks to the proliferation of fiduciaries that serve in a 338 capacity, you had a lot of TPAs uh, serving a 316 capacity. And I just think that that makes sense uh, for, you know, these TPAs. They're already doing all the kind of work, want they take over the responsibility. And sometimes when dealing with specific clients, it's best if they handle it and keep the you know plan sponsors away. Um, you know, again, um, three sixteen minister takes over the day to day role. They file the fifty five hundred, uh, and they have handle all other administrative tasks that the plan sponsor handles in the housekeeping parts of the plan. And of course, having a plan provider as a fiduciary is different 
and then these fiduciary warranties. And, um, you know, a lot of retirement plan providers, it's, it's not as popular as it was 10 years ago. So fiduciary warranties were more popular 10 years ago. Uh, we had a couple insurance company providers put them out. And one of my favorite stories about the fiduciary warranty is actually there are two stories. Um, I wrote an article about it. Um, probably the summer after I started my practice in 2010. And uh, I, I inadvertently called them fiduciary guarantees instead of warranties. But the gist of the article was the same. But uh, I think I called it, you know, fiduciary, you know, guarantee they should get the F out. And uh, the, <laughs> I, I, the F out and uh, somebody... You know, saw the article and thought that that was inappropriate. You know, the F word and the F word and you know, a fiduciary uh, warranty is different than the typical F word. But I, I still get a chuckle that somebody was so offended by me using the F word, but not the F word. I didn't actually use the F word. I just said, you know, they should they should get the F out, which you know, again, the word was fiduciary, not you know for unlawful cardinal knowledge for those Van Halen fans, which I think is a pretty damn good album, by the way. But, so, the fiduciary warranty, again, that was, you know, I wrote an article about it. The second part of it that was I thought kind of funny was, it was an insurance company per, uh, salesperson for the New York City area, probably New York City, Long Island, and whatnot. And I knew him, and... He read the article, went on, he emailed me. He says, oh, you know, I was always going to refer to your business, but after reading this article, I can't. Well, buddy, you never, you never uh, referred me business before, and so there's really no difference. I didn't burn the bridge. There was no bridge. The guy's no longer in the time plan business. He hasn't been there for, you know, good, you know, 11 years maybe. I don't know whatever happened to him, but the fiduciary warranty was always an interesting concept as uh, a great man by the name of Bill Shores once said, if the insurance companies are in the business of insuring things for money, what does it say about a fiduciary warranty when it's free? You know, they insure risks. That's what insurance companies do. They insure risks for a fee. You know, I just got another bill for my life insurance policy. My term life policy is coming up. Uh, it's probably going to expire in, you know, Jason's 18, it's probably going to be about two, three years. Uh, I got a whole life policy now, but anyway, you know, pay pay a couple bucks to insure my life. I'm probably worth more dead than alive, but, you know, the insurance company isn't giving me a life insurance, million dollar life insurance policy for free. Uh, they charge me money. What does it say about an insurance company that gives you a fiduciary warranty for free? And what does the fiduciary warranty say? Well, we're going to protect you in terms of litigation. Uh, for the broad range of requirement, the ERISA 404C, a broad range requirement. You know, it's something like three three mutual funds. If you pick three different mutual funds, you satisfy the broad range requirement. Now, you have a lot of litigation against 401k plan sponsors, 403b plan sponsors, all that. I've never seen a case where somebody was sued because they only had one fund in the plan. I'm sure that could happen, uh, but I've never seen it happen. Anybody, you know, any plan out there, every plan I've ever seen has satisfied that broad range requirement. So there's no possibility that someone's going to get sued. 
So there is one comp one insurance company that I know still pushes this fiduciary warranty. Interesting concept. Uh, I never heard of this company until, I don't know, six, seven years ago. Um, I had a client, Cemetery, who was, you know, looking to hire this firm, pushing out the fiduciary warranty. They were, you know, telling people, oh, you don't need an advisor in the plan, which I thought was kind of reckless. I met the guy, nice guy, local salesperson, gave me a couple of free Mets tickets. Uh, it didn't sway my opinion about them, uh, even though they were in the Hyundai Club, and uh, a lot of people know my love for the Hyundai Club. But I haven't heard from them in quite some time, about four years, uh, because I wouldn't recommend clients go there. Um, again, I think the fiduciary warranty is worthless. It's a marketing gimmick. Um, if a, it, it really doesn't minimize the plan sponsor's liability because there's no chance they will be liable on that whole range requirement under these fiduciary warranties that it protects. The devil is really in the details uh, when dealing with plan providers and these contracts. You know, a plan provider serving fiduciary capacity in the contract can spell out what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. And that's where it gets tricky. Um, I work for a producing CPA. We had a uh, financial advisory firm. The contracts drafted claimed that we were not fiduciaries for the plan, which you know, is a joke because we did serve in fiduciary capacity. But the point is that plan providers can get very, very creative and sneaky and try to disclaim things that, you know, what they're doing. Um, um, I think there was a, a plan provider out there uh, where they create, you know, limited focus and full focus, 321 providers, you know, there was a limited, lim I mean, limited scope and full scope, a limited scope 321 and a full scope 321. There is a, there is a difference, but somebody was coming out with a term called a limited scope 338 advisor, which I don't know how as an investment manager on the risk of 338, how you could be limited scope. But somebody, you know, tried to draft that, tried to create that, and that was worth a good chuckle. And so it's always important when you have these plan provider agreements where they serve a fiduciary capacity that, you know, have an arrest attorney review it. Make sure that they're, you know, they are who they say they are. Uh, that there is no, um, you know, promise that isn't fulfilled. Uh, I've seen too many times where plan sponsors are promised one thing, contracts say another, and the plan sponsors uh, kind of get screwed. You know, empty verbal promises don't mean anything when the contracts say something else. Um... Last but not least, I think it's important to delineate the roles of the different plan fiduciaries out there. You know, in baseball, uh, recently, you know, when you're calling a fly ball, you know, one player should call it, the other player should respect it. I just recently see, saw a few weeks back where there was a pop-up uh, with the Mets, of course, and I think it was Scherzer and Alvarez, and uh, Scherzer had the best look on the ball, but he didn't call out, he didn't call the ball and push out Alvarez. Alvarez tried to get it and they both screwed up and the pop-up uh, landed foul. That, you know, screwed up, uh, you know, that could have been a good out. And I think it's important that when plan sponsors hire uh, different plan providers to serve in different fiduciary capacities, that there's delineation as to who will do what. You know, recently I just 
got hired to be a 316 administrator and plan trustee over a um, plan, a uh, U.S. affiliate of a British company. Uh, they're in the golf business, and uh, i got to hit them up on some of their uh, uh, products, some things that are certainly interesting. But, you know, we, we're having these meetings to set up the plan, and, you know, we're, we're, we've got 316, we've got 338, we've got a payroll company. You know, who's going to do what? You know, and I think that's important. Uh, you have to understand, you know, we're dealing with plant fiduciaries. Everybody has limitations. And uh, one of my favorite, my favorite actors, Clint Eastwood, for the longest time was Al Pacino. And then about, I want to say 20 years ago, it became Clint Eastwood. Big fan of the Clint Eastwood Dirty Harry movies. Uh, one of my favorites, my favorite Dirty Harry movie of all time is The Enforcer of Time Daly um, and Clint. I just, I, I, I love that one because it's so politically incorrect. A lot of lines. I mean, the original Dirty Harry is obviously politically incorrect too, but another favorite of mine is Magnum Force. So I want to say the first, my favorite is The Enforcer, then I would say Dirty Harry, then maybe Magnum Force. My least favorite is probably... Sudden Impact, Deadpool is pretty bad too, but uh, Magnum Force was a, was a great movie in terms of the fighting between um, Dirty Harry and Lieutenant Briggs, played by Hal Holbrook. And uh, out of the controversy of the first Dirty Harry movie, where you know people were saying Dirty Harry was a fascist, this is this, that, they decided to you know come up with a movie where. Yeah, these vigilante cops that were more ruthless than Dirty Harry. But anyway, in the movie, Clint says to Lieutenant Briggs, actually Lieutenant Briggs, you know, complaining about Dirty Harry, you know, being a you know, savage with the gun and this, that. And he said, well, you know, in all my years as cop, you know, I, I've never had to pull out my weapon, and I'm proud of that. And Clint Eastwood says, well, Lieutenant Briggs, a good man always knows his limitations. And I think it's important that plan providers, uh, when hiring them as plan fiduciaries, that we know what their limitations are. What can they handle and what can't they handle? You know, the 338s, uh, that could certainly, you know, really hold the plan sponsor's hand. There's 316s that can deal with payroll data. There are 316s that can't. There are 316s that can send out notices, and there are 316s that can't. So it's extremely important that a plan sponsor understands, you know, who... Um, who can do what and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's really, really important. And, uh, I think it's, uh, a good, uh, a good way, uh, to limit liability and limit a lot of headaches. So hope you enjoy this episode of the F1K podcast. Go to the F1K site.com for the information on the virtual events. We should have, something going on with the live events shortly i think within a week or two we'll actually you know have the brochures out with the pricing for people who want to sponsor it and probably set up a page for uh signups and whatnot uh yankee stadium is obviously uh i wouldn't say it's the uh crown jewel but for us we always draw better new york obviously i'm from there so, you know, that's the one venue I certainly wanted to hit. Madison Square Garden is a little bit different because, you know, Madison Square Garden, I love it. 
I'd love to do a New York Rangers event, even though I think the New York Knicks are probably more popular. Basketball's more popular than hockey, unfortunately. But anyway, go to eventpornkcite.com. We'll talk more over the next couple weeks about what we're going to do with these live events. And as I progress through the summer and, you know, a couple of, one of these weeks, I'm going to have to record a couple episodes back-to-back because, you know, can't record on the road. Kind of, Kind of not fun. But anyway... Um, Tune in next week for another episode of That 4K Podcast. Thanks.